Galileo. Galileo. Hello, everyone. Hi. Sorry for that. Welcome back to the Good, the Bad, and the Just Plain Standard podcast. Oh. Do you have a 20-minute expose about the development hell to read? No, I don't. No, I just know this is a this film has been a production nightmare for ten years. Yeah, I think a long it's been time. Two, since two thousand and ten. It's it's been on the on the cards. From <laughs> what I remember, it was like director on, director off, another director in, director out. Then Sasha Baron Cohen was in, then he was out, and then Ben Whishaw. Ben Whishaw as well was another one, and then mm-hmm. finally we get here. I've read in so many places. I'm left because of creative differences, whatever that means. So well, it must have been a really tumultuous set. There's a there's a. Brief brief clip Sasha Baron Cohen on the Howard Stern show oh, yeah. basically saying that he thought the story ended with Freddie's death with the, the pneumonia because of AIDS and one of the members of Queen went on to say it's like yeah and then the story is how the band survives and carries on after Freddie and he's like no in, in my eyes this is about Freddie Mercury and then that's probably the creative differences he's talking about never specified who it is those that follow Queen or marker mode <laughs> Um, or mark mode, yes. Um, so it's based on real people, so I'll do a, a, cast, a correct cast list. So Rami Malek uh, as Freddie Mercury, Farouk Bilsara, lead vocalist of the rock band Queen, Lucy Boynton as Mary Austin, Mercury's girlfriend, Gwilym Lee as Brian May, Queen's lead guitarist, Ben Hardy as Roger Taylor, Queen's drummer, Joy Mazzello as John Deacon, Queen's bass guitarist, Aidan Gillen as John Reed, Queen's manager, Littlefinger, Alan Leach as Paul Prenter, Mercury's personal manager, Tom Hollander as Jim Beach, Queen's lawyer turned manager, great, great casting there, Mike Myers as Ray Foster, an EMI executive, unrecognizable, no, 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 that- Ray Foster is based on that a boss, people. yeah, is a, is a mixture. Well, that's um, I'll get into that when I'm done with it. Um, Aaron McCusker as Jim Hutton, Mercury's boyfriend. Priya Blackburn as Kashmira Bulsara, Mercury's sister. Tim Plester as Roy Thomas Baker, Queen's studio engineer. And Dermot Murphy as Bob Geldof, live aid organizer. I have to say, he was nice. He was. <laughs> He was a ba- he was a great casting for Bob Geldof for the like f- three minutes to five minutes that Bob Geldof is in this. You're like, yeah, you're Bob Geldof. Yeah. I remembered him as well. So it it isn't about how many lines or how much screen time you have. Like you know, if you're remembered, why not? Yeah. If I was a casting director, I I would want to cast him. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, people that are identical, there so there's him and also. Uh, the guy, the uh, the guy playing John Deacon. If you look at the videos, it's the exact same guy. It's 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 oh, amazing. Yeah, definitely, Brian May's pretty good. The actor who plays John Deacon, I first he's in a lot of stuff. He's in he's one of the the roommates in the Social Network. Oh yeah, uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's also one of the leads in the HBO show The Pacific, which he co-starred with Rami Malek. Oh nice. Yeah, uh, so they've worked together. They have a really they have really nice scenes in the Pacific. Uh, different from Band of Brothers, which it's it's by this the book it's based on is by the same writer, uh, right. but it's a different feel entirely to Band of Brothers. Sure, but well worth a watch. I would say it's mm, well worth okay. a watch. Okay, uh, Freddie Mercury was born so Farouk um, Bulsara. B- Bulsara, yeah, uh, Bulsara. in nineteen forty six in Zanzibar to Parsi parents from India. After growing up in Zanzibar and then India, his family moved to Middlesex, England in in his late teens. Queen was formed in 70 and he died in 91 from a uh, bronchopneumonia, complication of AIDS. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the the dog that I lost all those years ago uh, was called Farouk. Yes, first, and it's basically based on a a king, uh, was born in 1920 and died in 65. So the full title of the guy was His Majesty Farouk I, by the grace of God, King of Egypt and the Sudan, sovereign, sovereign of Nubia, of Kordofan and of Darfur. Brilliant. Nubia is a fascinating civilization if you're into uh, going into history. Because we always think about the ancient Egyptians, but looking at Nubia, they do some amazing stuff, actually. Of course. Almost the fathers of infrastructure, really. They had really nice planned infrastructure for this. We're not taught enough about Africa. No, we're not. A few words of warning before we delve into all of this. For the love of everything that is holy... Please, when you watch this, make sure you watch it in stereo or <laughs> even better in Atmos. That's how it is on iTunes now. You can get it right away in Atmos. Oh, nice. Because I, I watched it three times. Well, actually, I went to see this with my mom first in French. And then when I came back here, I saw it. I think it was super screen. So I had the Atmos. Mm. Uh, the sound was weird. With, with your thingy. I have the, I think it's Scal 9. It's a Sony playback monitor, essentially. It was I was bought as a Christmas present from, from my parents, thank you very much, as a, an aid for editing to play it back, like, uh, louder volumes. But I use it for the TV because with the right settings, it's a really nice piece of kit. That being said, if, if, it's, if it's designed for Atmos, it's never going to get you know, surround because it's only one speaker. It's not two separate speakers. So yes, and that's why actually we watched it from two to five. I think um, via so we have it, and there are also some very nice uh, extra footage on iTunes US. All oh, right, okay, and yeah. uh, including and it's the full twenty-one minutes live aid set <laughs> uh, with my uh, the the headphones you are currently wearing, Adam, and I had that and. It was incredible. I can imagine. I mean, it's let's start off with that end sequence then with the, the Live Aid concert. I mean, that's, that sequence is phenomenal. Uh, the, the pains, I'm sure everyone has seen it on Twitter if you follow any kind of movie-related social media. Uh, the, the painstaking detail they've gone to to recreate the footage. There is a famous clip that you can actually find anywhere if you type in Bohemian Rhapsody side-by-side where it is the the start of Radio Gaga to side by side with Remy Malik and Freddie Mercury doing it and it's so accurate it's unbelievable it's painstakingly accurate yeah it's, uh, yeah it's funny when i watched it the first time so that we have a thing on board navy ships every morning so everyone ha- has to wake up at the same time. Yeah. So we have what we call it bonba which is kind of wake up but it's in music uh, I discovered that stereo thing. Loads of um, well, so, some Beatles songs also have the stereo mm-hmm. uh, thing. Uh, in, in that in that movie, the 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 best example that when they he at one point they were doing that song and saying it put the, some R's in the right, some R's on the left. You didn't get that when you watched it. Panning. Yes. Uh, well, uh, the sound. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, sound panning. It's uh, yeah. You can you can in sound engineering. You can, and it's incredible to watch it in its old-fashioned sense because you watch them record on tape, you know, rewind the tape, re-record, whereas I learned digitally thanks to Pro Tools and other softwares that I had at high school when I did sound engineering. Panning, essentially, we talked about this. Great example of us explaining that is in Baby Driver where I say, like, you can hear when Baby takes the earphone out, the music only comes out the speaker related to his ear. 
Sure. So it's it's a trick used for making things sound more. Mm. It gives it depth. And one day I wanted to have, because sometimes you have a uh, CD player that is actually uh, integrated into the system, so that's good. But when sometimes you'd only have an external thing and you use the, the PA system microphone and you put it in front of the of the thing, people were woken up with just one side. So yeah, that was really weird. And obviously when you do with the PA system thing, when, when the um, commanding officer arrives every morning, the first time he arrives, you have to shout, like to put everyone to attention. So sometimes you had in the middle of the song, me shouting. A bit of lingo. I think we talked about that a few times. A phone book is a large, used to be a large soft cover book that was used to find a phone number before the internet kicked in. Was it a yellow pages? It didn't look like it didn't look like a yellow pages, but it would have been a yellow pages, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, we, we are. Mm. I'm guessing. I mean, it's the, I think it's the only phone book that we've had. I remember yellow pages. I of course. I'm only 23, and I remember yellow pages in my childhood. Just you know. Yeah, this is before the internet, so we're that generation where we remember a time before the internet. We I just watched the first episode of You on Netflix, and it's like the guy searching the girl up on Facebook. Where in real life in the 80s, and then before internet, you had to go to the book, look up, hope, hope you got the surname to make it a bit easier and go through every single name in the book until yeah. you found the number. I was a bit apprehensive going into this because of all the material, the materials you've... So basically, Rami Malek used dentures modelled after um, Freddie Mercury's teeth. Mm. But as you can notice, Rami Malek's skull is way smaller which means in still images, it really looks ridiculous. Uh, I, d- I didn't have that effect that much watching the film, but compared to the real uh, Freddie Mercury, sometimes it looks really preposterous. But yeah, I, I did think that they overdid it. But I thought it was just because people could then... You know, you know how Hollywood over... Overshow, like over-dramatizes things so that the audience can really see it. <laughs> so I thought that it was because of that reason rather than... That's interesting. The, th- the thing I feel, which will be a developing theme as we go on for this episode, for narrative's sake, there is nobody alive that can be Freddie Mercury. And there never will be. There will, he's one of these people in history that you could, will, ne- will never get close to. It's the same as with Michael Jackson. There will nobody will be close to that ever again no so i think honestly i think hair and makeup in this whole film is very good because it's an it's a uh, oh yes it's a bit exaggerated and yes you- no i mean but it, we no, are, it wasn't a criticism and we are we're talking about a movie so yeah, exactly uh, you, you don't you don't worry and don't see it that much with the movies just on still images sometimes like the the one at live aid when he's with his arm in the air it mm. looks really really weird um mark kermode and simon mayo in their podcast they talked about um Bohemian rhapsody and and uh, i listened they, to the inter- the two of them last night actually yeah, yeah yeah and they, they got um impressions or stuff from the audience that they read emails yeah, they, ah. they get it's a they do a radio show on Radio Five. I think it's Fridays at three, and the podcast is basically the the radio show but put out. Because I actually remember it's a weird experience that I'm. I hopefully one day will have is if I do a film that is discussed by Mark Kermode, where when I was a teenager, I would lie I'd lie in my room listening to my dad in the other room listening to the the radio. 
I've grown up with that that review podcast. Uh-huh. Nah, nice. Simon Mayer reads the email, and he understood that many people the the criticism about the gay erasure from his life, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But that's not how he read the movie. That's not what it was about. Which is something we talked about a few times. That's not what the movie is about, and how you read it. I th- I think that was a nice uh, thing about how he said it. Uh, not how he read the movie. So that was not about that anyway. That, that one of the major criticisms, and I think that's a fair criticism actually, is the portrayal and representation of the gay community in this film. We don't really spend a lot of time with the gay community in this film. Well, I think we also have to remember that even though, yes, it's called Bohemian Rhapsody, this is totally focused on Freddie Mercury. Something that I think is more probably the, the problem is is not about the focus on the gay community. It's more about because it's so focused on Freddie Mercury, every single other character is is sort of one faceted as much as yes of course the gay community is then seen as like oh we're just a scene that looks like it's filmed in Bergheim. yeah i don't think the story knows what it wants to tell but that's probably because of creative differences for the whole thing because there were some people that wanted this to be like r-rated and totally freddie mercury and like his sexuality and was it fluid was he gay was he bisexual etc kind of like tell all is it pg hollywood you're right i mean the movie the freddie mercury movie is still not out and i don't know where i don't know if we'll ever see that because of how the royalties of queen work that freddie mercury is part of queen so therefore it's like a queen brand i hope one day we do get a, a movie that talks about the difficulties that freddie mercury had in his life because bit more than I would I would that's a story I'd like to hear especially with someone in that much of a limelight even a film like that there's only a couple of people in history you could do that with you could do it with Freddie Mercury I'd quite like to see a Rock Hudson movie dealing with that as as in because he was gay well yes and because he was this Hollywood hunk desired by women everywhere and he's in this movie people will flock to see it I would quite like to see a movie that does address that well, with a real person because there are <laughs> examples of that we well we talked about in um behind the candelabra behind the candelabra i don't know if i'm surprised or not that there isn't a lot of homosexuality in this film because behind the candelabra i read a quote from the directors and the on the production side of behind the candelabra saying the the major hollywood studios said it's too gay we can't make this. Yeah. I remember reading that quote. I'm like, am I surprised that the homosexuality is kind of taken out of this film? No. Am I disappointed? Yes, because of how much uh, Call Me By Your Name was a very successful and elegantly handled film, in my opinion. So I think it can be told. I'm just, I'm not surprised it isn't. As I said in Behind the Candelabra, I don't know if that line is a real line of Freddy's or not. In that film, so Bohemian Rhapsody, he says, when he learns that he has aids that he don't he doesn't want to be the aids poster boy he i don't know how it happened in real life but in the movie he doesn't so that's a good testament to that line that he has at some point well fred he doesn't i don't know freddie mercury didn't tell the band he I didn't ju- tell anybody re- well he, he, jim hutton is the source that we have for a lot of it didn't know it didn't know before Live Aid. So. Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, uh, th- I think that's another Artistic difference. license, yeah. It's a dramatization. They obviously wanted Live Aid because it was a huge concert and it was so successful. They wanted it to also be like a goodbye from Freddie Mercury because the other, the like the whole of Queen knew and he knew 
and he just told them a week before they were supposed to be to start Live Aid. And that's totally dramatized because he didn't. They don't actually know. They think that it wasn't until after Live Aid that he even knew that he had AIDS. No, he doesn't know it's about 86. Yeah, the thing is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the year later. It was not based on the book, but it was based on the life of a real person. Make that into a movie. You have to dramatize the thing. So they added, obviously, this. And the fact that the band they had a full, uh, falling out, which... Yeah, Queen never they, split up. No, yeah, I know. Eh? Yeah. No, <laughs> they, they were just on a break. Did you know the drummer, Roger Taylor? He had a solo album. Before Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Freddie Mercury wasn't the first person to have a solo album. <laughs> he wasn't even the only person in Queen to have a solo album. So, no, they so nearly the whole... all did. Wasn't it Smile? With... I, I don't know. No. I don't know what the, what the single, the, the album was. Roger Roger Taylor did have his own mm. solo album. Yeah. So, so this movie starts with a Breaking Bad uh, beginning. So what I called, we start with basically kind of the ending pretty much freddy is getting ready to go to live aid and he goes and then he arrives on stage but then it stops and it goes back to the time when the band was formed which also is not how it was how it happened the whole that didn't happen like that i mean it's if it's a dramatization and we've said and it's in any other film we would criticize like ah, i don't believe that but in this film we go with it because we're we're ent- we we well because i think because it's queen and we want we know that we're going to be entertained by good music so you come into this film ready to be entertained i think i talked about this in another episode the fact that when you go to when you go to a live concert or see something in the cinema it's a different atmosphere to when you watch it at home on the tv because you're it's a different environment so in this sense for an environment set by a film the way it opens is very clever because it reminds you it's like oh yeah there's going to be a great concert at the end of this mm, this so, is coming yeah mm-hmm. they set you up to know that you're going to get the live aid concert and therefore you go with everything because you're excited sure sure just like uh, the rv that is uh, in the first breaking bad episode like half naked with a oh, gun, yeah. with the gun and then stops and <laughs> it's a clever way of hooking you in because you know that that's always coming so you know either oh god this is going to go really badly mm. when is a twist going to happen or oh god i cannot wait if, until the live aid concert because that's coming quite a lot of the critical response has been about how it dramatizes it so much that there are a lot of things that are glossed over and made to look like you know a great story structure um yeah and actually lots of things weren't happening in that way it it actually is interesting because this this opens up that conversation of if you're talking about something that you know happened is it just a film can you just like enjoy it or do you have to be super... Because, I mean, we're probably going to talk about this with Mary Queen of Scots because quite a lot of the film doesn't actually happen or is totally dramatised. And it's the same thing with this. I don't really mind that a lot of it didn't happen or is kind of glossed over. Well, it's the same way. I haven't seen the non-musical version of Les Mis. I know Jan has. Where Les Mis is heavily based and written about a real time period to the extent that the novel is so long. Yeah. Because Victor Hugo, it's almost a, it's an it's a time capsule of that period of France. Am I right? Oh. I'm right in saying that, Jan. You're reading the book, so yeah. And there's some kind of not really um, fourth world breaking, but he there there is some historian parts in there. Yeah, it's, sure. Yeah. So what I mean is that apply the opposite, where we're looking at a fictional version of real life. We're telling a real story in this one and adding fictional elements. We do, when we look at Les Mis and go, it's just a piece of fiction, and we 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 don't mind even though it's based in real events because it's not real people obviously but probably written about real people with the barricades and the people that would exist 
but aren't necessarily real people. But I mean, so the second or the third, uh, I think, director that comes on actually says in interviews, like, guys, this is a film, not a documentary. That's true as well. So I think there are some people that go to the cinema and if if they know that it happened in real life, Mm. they do want to see the real thing. But are they really going to be as entertained? So that's the kind of weird ball game you kind of have to play that like you might not be as entertained. In my opinion here, because it is Queen, because it is Freddie Mercury, you can do two, you can do one of two things. You can aim to please just the Queen fans. Pinpoint accuracy to everything happening straight down the middle, i.e. no chronology, which happened in the film. The chronology of songs written are in the right order, Albums are the right, come out at the right time. Document, almost documentary esque. Bam, 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 bam. Everything right with a bit of flair because it's a film, you know, doing stuff creative. Or you go with the film's approach of going, I know that we know the story of Freddie Mercury. Let's tell it and almost appeal to more people or to even the director because I think this is important. This film probably will have no resemblance to what the first iteration of the project looked like 10 years ago. Well, A, it's made by two directors, essentially. It's true to whatever their vision was. It's not true to what necessarily Brian May or Roger Taylor might. It's funny because, so there is a nice nod. So obviously you see the fictional EMI executive is played by Mike Myers, who, in a way, in a certain time, popularized uh, Bohemian Rhapsody with uh, Wayne's World. And there's a nice, yes. there's yeah, an yeah. inside joke in there. There's there's no way youngsters will bang their head to the... <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Which, that's, that's awesome. Great. That's great. That's so true. <laughs> that's awesome. Excellent. So we had a music month last year. I don't know if I asked already. I think I did what your um, going your concert gore experience was. Well, I've got a fun story to tell you. My mother and my father both went to Queen live at Dundee in 75 or 76. I phoned them last night to confirm this. My dad couldn't remember the year, but he, it, he said Bohemian Rhapsody was number one at Christmas. And it was after that. So they believe it was either Night at the Opera Tour or the Bohemian Rhapsody Tour. They can't pinpoint exactly, but it's most likely a Night at the Opera. They did not go together. They did (laughs) not know each other in 1975 or 76. But they were at the same concert. That's really nice. I know it's amazing to hear your parents' story about how they actually went to these amazing concerts and see these legends play. But I mean, we'll probably have the same with our children and grandchildren, you know, like there will be bands out there that we'll, we'll see at King Tut's or... I mean, I saw Busted. Yeah, you did, exactly. <laughs> I saw Busted. Busted was my first concert where I think McFly was a support. Oh, they, really? Was, that's really weird. It is weird to think. I said, that can't be true. But my dad said, no, I, th- that's prob- I think that mm. was true. I don't know if that works. This is. I'll tell you how old that was. I must have been, I was under 10 for sure because I left early because I was like, because I, I was younger. Before the band came on, there would be an advert, you know, like they'd be playing the music and stuff. It would come on the projectors where if you texted a number, you could get one of the members of McFly as a wall screen for your phone because obviously it was like nokia and flip phones so you had wallpapers it was like if you text this number you can get i can't remember any of the players from busted but you can have guitar lead singer of busted as your wallpaper i mean that's a good piece of marketing though i mean every every single generation has their different way of marketing don't they yeah my dad also we'll probably talk this about another day if we do quadrophenia my dad also went to see the who live at hull which was meant to be the live at leeds album but the i think it's the audio wasn't right also it doesn't have the same ring the Who live at Hull doesn't sound as good as live at Leeds 
Do you feel, because the major difference between the two uh, musical movies with Oscar nods this year, uh, A Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody, is that Star is Born, everything was live. And here, obviously, it's fake stuff and they add the sound afterwards. I think that's the only way you could do this film. Nobody's going, nobody was going here to see somebody's try and do Freddie Mercury. Did you feel it captured the movie, go the concert going experience? Or did it feel fake? I didn't really think about that. I, I, I was thoroughly entertained by this film. I've read some reviews and, and they talk about how this film uh, is a template on how you would do a film on a legend like Freddie Mercury or a legendary band like Queen, which I thought was interesting. It kind of ticked the boxes that it needed to tick. Mm. The, the problem is, of course, if you want to win awards, you might need to do that, as harsh as that sounds. But then I thought it was interesting because um, creative differences throughout the film, because of this, there were some people that wanted to do, I think Sasha Baron Cohen was one of them. He wanted to do something that was R-rated. I was really entertained and maybe it's because I allowed myself to. If you're going into, you're, you're a huge Queen fan and you want to hear the music again. I, I think this is a good film to go with, but I think you might need to watch something else because this is also dramatized and, and it's a film in mm. terms of you are watching an actor play Queen and Freddie Mercury, you know, like you're not watching Queen. And I heard that Rami Malek did go to piano lessons and singing lessons. He had to learn how to Uh, sing and uh, speak with the teeth in I think also quite a, some of it is his voice but they also edited in bits of Freddie Mercury so I think it's like a like an amalgamation of, of quite a few things is it is it accurate to concert going experiences does it capture that I think it does look that's what you went to Queen for right well yeah exactly If, when, when I heard my parents went to Queen I'm like I didn't go oh you saw Queen I went You saw Freddie Mercury sing. You know yeah, what I mean? He has a beautiful voice. The thing, Bohemian Rhapsody, imagine, Wish You Were Here, all these great songs that, Wonderwall, all these songs that are infinitely covered. Infinitely. I don't understand why. I don't find people doing Bohemian Rhapsody on YouTube or whatever entertaining because it's, it's Freddie. There will never be a more defined version of that song. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, it's it's bits of Rami Malek, it's bits of this, but mainly over the top is Freddie Mercury. It's absolutely the right decision. Absolutely the right decision. Look at the storm they kicked up about Russell Crowe with as um, Javert, and everyone went, he can't sing, why the hell is he in it? That's the choice. You either get a good actor like Rami Malek and do a bit of him and dub with Freddie, or you get an average actor but can sing like Freddie Mercury and put his voice in. You'll please nobody. It has to be Freddie Mercury as, as the vocals, I think. So I think quite a lot of films, uh, creative... Uh, why do I keep saying creative? Um, casting directors will look at people that look like the person rather than the skills that they have. And then they'll just pay for them to have piano, movement, singing lessons. And then they can edit around it and they'll, they'll sort of... But just as long as you look a little bit like the person that they're portraying. That is I seemingly and every single time the most important thing that in especially in Hollywood films that they will focus on. Mm. And I think you see that in Les Mis. You see that in La La Land because they wanted that look. Both of those people are not dancers and they're not singers, but they're chosen because they have a certain look that they're looking for. So I think this is 
Exactly. Definitely connected to Rami Malik looks a bit like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> That's kind of the end all. And it's it's only that in its performance as well. I mean, say what you like about La La Land dancing and singing and whatever. The performances of Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, they're, they are good in it. Yeah, and, yeah, of course. And their acting is there, which is the most important thing about this film as well. It's a movie about the life. It's not a Queen musical. If you want a Queen musical, go to We Will Rock You. Yeah. We need the performance. We need the acting. I can't remember the actor's name, but in Shine, the, the line between being an actor and being the real person, the, the line you walk between imitation and performance. James Dean's a good example. I think I used James Dean as this, this example if you look at a lot of their, these performances, there's a lot of people trying to do the James Dean slouch and the and the, the sort of drawl that he has and all of, all of that. Whereas you look at something like this, you see Rami Malek and you see Freddie and it's a bit of both. And I think that's the line you have to walk with. In that film I talked about, I didn't necessarily believe Anne Hathaway all the time because it's Anne Hathaway. In this sense, it's more difficult because you've got an act that you know and you've got a real life person that you know. So you're looking for both. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. I think Rami Malek walked that line so well that it's a bit of both. Like it's his version of Freddy, but there is enough of Freddy in there. You never go, I don't believe you. Well, yeah, that's why when, when Rami Malek won the BAFTA for this, for Best Actor, he talks about how thank you so much um, to the British public for allowing me to be to show one of your legends because we, I know how important they are to you. Mm. And that's probably what he was trying to portray that like this was a real person he's a legend especially to to british people i need to walk that tightrope and that's tough Mm. what the one thing that i will say is that in every single review and every single time that i've heard someone speak about it rami malik was outstanding again and again and again and again his performance was incredible Mm. and i will say that he definitely deserved that laughter yeah I, I think yeah. it was an incredible performance, especially because this was a real person. And the creating of Love Live Aid was uh, impressive. Yeah, it must have taken so much choreography. Mm. Kudos to the prop master, because um, usually in movies when you see phone numbers, there's always 555 in front. So mm. we're sure that nobody's by accident being called. Um, the one they use when Freddie is looking for Jim Hutton has normal uh, numbers so i guess it's actually uh, uh, yellow pages from the time that were used in the movie oh, that's yeah. interesting it's a nice sourcing if they, if a, they got that yeah that's a nice touch live aid was actually shot that's the first thing they shot on the first week gosh i mean they'd have to i mean yeah the i mean scale they probably of didn't yeah they probably didn't know how long that would take how many takes that would take horrible sentence i i like how uh, when they for the first time meet uh J- little finger um aiden jo- gillen yeah john reed the freddy's outfit does look well they say a lizard but it, it actually looks a bit like in jurassic park those little dinos that are about to kill the fat guy <laughs> there's some nice touches of organic exposition in here so basically the a word is not used at all when he learns that he has it. This is AIDS we're talking about, yeah. if anyone didn't understand. <laughs> the A word. A- yeah, I thought that was nice. Horrifying. Um, I mean, it's still horrifying. This was new 
in terms of the media, this was completely new. And and I think it, it was touched upon that Freddie Mercury did in this film uh, didn't want to be the poster boy for AIDS. Yeah, because, well, if we look back at Behind the Candelabra, they tried to hide that he died of AIDS. Heart you know, attack, because, right? Because of um, the media itself, it was it was known as is the gay disease yeah stigma the stigma of it was that you were if you had it that you were gay even though in a it's present in train spotting it's what kills it's one of the reasons that tommy dies in train spotting because of the sharing needles he gets complications of aids yeah because his immune system is down and he toxic plasmosis yeah he so do you play piano adam no, I don't, unfortunately. Probably have to ask because apparently there is something in this movie that is almost impossible to do. Uh, when Freddy is with uh, Mary Austin on the bed and he puts his hands above and starts to do the uh, the start of Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, it probably is possible, but it'll take a hell of a lot of practice. I've got I've got mates that just know that one bit. You can learn that that riff, the opening sequence of Bohemian Rhapsody. The well, yeah, but that's much easier than doing it. You're below the piano. Yeah. You're also crossing your hands over. Yeah, it's the it's a brain thing. I think. Yeah, like, totally. Like you can't juggle more than thirty balls or something. It's oh, really. Yeah, there's some something around the, those lines. I really like there are little cinematography touches like that. I liked uh, the when they were on tour, the camera that actually goes through the van. Oh yeah, which was quite nice. The windshield which just disappeared. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um some uh glass like uh, gog- um shades shots and there was the piano that was reflecting loads of uh, nice uh, use of the reflecting surfaces of uh, shades and well glasses goggles I don't know how to call those glasses sunglasses yes yes <laughs> Is they called in well shades in uh, that thing you do but uh, anyway it, uh, it's american shades yeah Okay. Uh, also, interesting uh, creative editing transitions when they are actually because this movie is also makes us discover how the songs were created and it goes from from either the, one of the songs was another one bites the dust was going from the rehearsal space to the stage for a few seconds. Oh yeah, like, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. The clapping. No, we, that, will that, we will rock you was this one. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Another one bite the dust was the other one uh, b- between the queer club and the rehearsal room in isolani paul told how he hates bad logic in movie i could not help but see how mary austin was not at all wet the the rain was i wonder how they filmed this scene because the rain was everywhere but she was she was just wet and when the the taxi at the end she uh, she was about to leave and freddie came Mm-mm-mm. all right cinema sins <laughs> yeah um sometimes when you're aware of things like that it's it's hard not to i don't uh, know why the movie tries to convince us that we will rock you as written the 80s i don't understand why why they they did that, that well it probably works in terms of what they want you know like story structure it was probably nice to add it there it's i guess i'm it's just like when there's decisions like that that don't really add like we've talked a lot about you know go with the narrative we go with the film but there are some th- things that are out of order for no reason that's one of them that the, that we will rock you is a is a later song when it, it isn't i think it's on news of the world which is it's definitely a, it's just after a night of the opera i believe is when news of the world came out but i don't know why that's there it's like and then the other one is um killer queen is not what they played on top of the pops changes there i'm like like yes that's fine and you wouldn't notice them unless you're a queen like a queen lover like i said earlier 
the only reason that it's there is because they want to show them writing We Will Rock You. Because there isn't a lot of writing the Queen songs. I mean, we get a bit of Seven Seas of Rye at the beginning with the recording studio and obviously we get Bohemian Rhapsody and another one bites the dust. When we get to the end and we get like, we are the champions, it's like, oh yeah, they, they've not really covered writing many of the songs, which is fair enough because it's, the movie isn't about that. Well, it's just strange that sometimes it's, it's choices of throwing in a song. It's like, oh yeah, remember We Will Rock You? Here's when they wrote We Will Rock You. I thought it was actually quite clever. The moments that they chose to put a song in, it actually made you excited. On When actually, if you look through the set list of quite a lot of their concerts around certain times, quite a lot of those songs that you were talking about that that was in, what, what was it? The Night of the Opera is one of their concerts. Yes. Is that what it's called? I know. Um, quite a lot of those songs, you will never know if you are not a huge Queens fan. So it's interesting that they only showed the songs that were really, really popular. Well, you're still excited because of course you know all the songs and it was a nice way of you know Freddie Mercury is late again Brian May's like look I'm gonna get in between you two because you're fighting between Freddie Mercury and the drama and then Dicky he just plays the riff another one bites the dust that sounds really good and it was just a really nice way of bringing the song into the fact that the band is breaking up do you know what I mean like there are so many things that they kind of link together through a song I just I, I get what you're saying but to me I feel that it's lazy it's a lazy well, it's, it's a li- template of how to do of how to show an biopic or biopic, biopic biopic either way of a legendary band I, I totally agree with what a lot of people are saying that I don't know if it was lazy or if it was just a really easy way of showing Freddie Mercury's life in those well what I mean before I think it's lazy because it's like oh yeah well, remember it's Queen and like getting the audience excited if the films had a bit of a lull if I'm not mistaken that scene comes after he kicks out Aiden Aiden Gillen's character from the car and it's around that section where he's like partying and whatever and it's kind of like we're losing the way of Queen. We're writing We Will Rock You. Oh yeah, here's um, Another One Bites the Dust. The film doesn't know what story it's telling in some aspects. If they had committed to the Freddie Mercury story and had the had this, the overarching story of like where the, the where tension would be and wherever, you know, like to bring the audience to get the audience invested to me it feels like a really cheap way of getting the audience back if the film slipped. No, that I agree with. I think that's why I'm saying lazy because it's like oh here's a scene to get everyone back in it's like okay now we can keep going it's like I agree with you in the t- in the sense that they don't know which story they're telling because in that way they're like okay let's bring it back to Queen when actually they really want to talk about Freddie Mercury the whole time what's interesting is that they wanted to keep it PG as well so that you it's it's only hinted that he has sex with all these men it's hinted that he takes drugs it's hinted that he's an alcoholic it's hinted that he's an asshole to everyone I mean I know that there are moments where he is but it's always hinted that he's doing all these things like oh are you are you are you high again and it's like when was he ever on drugs like i don't he takes a pill in one scene yeah but that could have been aspirin for god's sake even though there have been films before when that's been quite a clever way of not throwing it in your face but i felt like this was a little bit like they just chucked that in so that they could keep it a pg rating they could keep it um a bafta and oscar nominee film show that he had issues with alcohol drugs and and sex and he was gay the problem is that they want to keep it as market- marketable as pro- as possible. Exactly. In Britain, this is a 12A, which is right. slap bang in the middle of 
where you want to be. Also, you can be younger than 12 to get into a 12 as long as you're guardian. Yes, exactly. Uh, America, I think that's called PG-13. PG-13, Is uh-huh. their version of what we have is a 12A. And yeah. it, make sure everybody can see this, Get make as much money as possible in that idea because the certification board, it's, it's difficult because you look at, you're right, and because we watch enough films, it's really clear that I can almost guess that the BBFC says implied drug taking probably will be the phrase or implied yeah. sexual, uh, mild sexual references. Phrases like that make you a 12A. As a, I think somebody once said you get one F-bomb. Sure. You can say it once, but if you say it twice, you're a 15. It's real regulate, really, well, of course it is because it's a board of certification. It is heavily regulated. I, in that I, sense, there is a compromise. And in a way, maybe that compromises the vision and it's sense that they made it they made the decision to chop out certain scenes I'll take the opposite for example there was the debate around the dark night why so serious scene almost made that film a 15 because oh, it, it's also about if they show you how to do something so the fact that he's put a knife into his mouth and slice your cheeks up yeah right it's also if someone takes a line of cocaine showing people how Mm. you would take drugs and in this film they totally just hint at it for me that felt lazy yeah and and there are other ways that you can hint at something without it being lazy how do we keep this a pg rating we talked about this before in green book with the whole pandering this is just an opposite this is another form of pandering didn't pander exactly that's the thing actually when they were like oh yeah it's really obvious that freddie mercury is gay etc it's like you didn't make that obvious at all hardly hinted at it was barely hinted at that he was having gay sex yeah you're, you're right because I mean, there were moments when he would look at a guy and be like oh hey but that just looked like he was checking out men and it was like and then it's and then afterwards they'll be like oh yeah you're on drug that line feels more like exposition rather than showing us in a underlying way mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so I think that is quite lazy. This film was hugely entertaining though, I have to say. Oh yeah, absolutely. We- we're, we're we're talking about this because we're we're not watching it. We're this being is, hard. This is the thing with be, discussing movies when you're taking with an taken with an experience, right? You can have the the best meals that you'll ever have in your life are an experience but you might not necessarily remember what the meal tasted like but you'll remember that night it's the same with this film it's a highly entertaining ride or even roller coaster roller coaster is a better example than food because the f- food's a you you enjoy a roller coaster when you're on it but if you sat and went oh i really enjoyed i don't really know why it went up at this point and maybe there shouldn't have been a corkscrew there or it was lazy just to have one loop the loop or whatever sure there are some films that you don't necessarily have to analyze this is one of them this is a highly entertaining movie i could watch a again and again and again enjoy it thoroughly each time but looking at it on a deeper level there are some filmmaking choices and their choices i wish you'd been a bit braver it's not necessarily we're saying this is bad we're wishing that we had a more i want to say provocative i think maybe make a 15 or 18 version of queen also why was it called bohemian rhapsody i think that was a way of hooking you in because as adam was saying as soon as we watched it like oh we've already got to the fact that they're writing it and it's a two-hour film. Yeah. what else are they going to do because a- it's already been written and it's already been told that like oh actually Actually, this isn't going well. One of the last few things that it talks about, obviously, it says that Freddie Mercury died of complications of AIDS when he was 45. Oh, yeah, then there was a re-release of Bohemian Rhapsody. And that's only in writing at the end in the credits. So it's kind of like, okay, so that was that was kind of a way that you got away with only talking about Bohemian Rhapsody in like 40 minutes into the film. Yes, the 40 minute mark and we're in the studio writing Bohemian Rhapsody and we're doing all the long takes and stuff. I'm like, wait a minute, what? 
We're 40 yeah. minutes in. It's a way there, of hooking in an audience because everyone knows that that song, don't they? There's a very weird pacing issue in this film where we get to releasing, we release Bohemian Rhapsody. The film says that Bohemian Rhapsody is, it's implied that it's not well received. Yeah, it was really badly received. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, necessarily bad, badly no, received. It's, I, I have a whole section about uh, Rotten Tomatoes at the end. Oh, yeah. It's It was not well received by critics. Yeah, it was fine. The ah, audience. but audiences loved it. Sorry, yeah. Crit- critics yeah. critics praised it for its its complexity and its how basically how well it was written musically. But they did say it was a lot of the lyrics and all that were a bit of waffle, basically. Yeah, and it's six minutes of like, what the hell are you talking about? Who is Scaramouche? Who is Galileo? Why are they doing the? Why are we? Biz Mil- Mil- I know, and he's like, who the hell is Biz Miller? And I'm like, who's oh, Biz Miller? Dirge. Donkey. Six minutes dirge. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's. I've that's never heard anyone describe. Bohemian Rhapsody is a six minute dirge. <laughs> the thing that I, I also wanted to hear more of is the the interesting embarrassment that he feels for his family who aren't British. Yeah, and the film forgets about that. We have one scene well, where he's at home. There are a few scenes which they keep on like when he talks about Bismillah, he's looking out the window and he looks a bit wistful like he's thinking about like, that's my heritage. I was brought up in Zanzibar for God's sake. But he tells everyone that he was brought up in London. No one really talks about the fact that Freddie Mercury actually wasn't British. He was brown and at the beginning people called him a P-word. I, I, I do wish that they'd kind of focused on that. I think the problem was I guess they wanted it to be about Queen but they were focusing on Freddie Mercury there's too much left by the wayside in certain points the, the, the family aspect is left by the wayside the, I, the one of the big things I've heard people say is that it focuses mainly on his relationship with Mary than any other sort of gay relationship except very end when we get Jim Hunting back in his life right you know? but I mean even then Freddie Mercury is saying this is my friend and it's like hinted at i mean i don't know if 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 freddie mercury was openly gay with him but i i'm sure he was but but it was again hinted at hinted at hinted at so in the last 20 minutes we talked mostly about songs that were actually being created uh the way they were added in the soundtrack i think there was like the fact that they had who wants to live forever when he discovers he has aids Mm. sure was quite nice so they used for the live aid scene they used 300 extras they transformed them into 70,000 using so the what they call brighting they film people moving and all the 300 people moving and then they have different outfits everything is added afterwards i'm currently using a shore sm7b studio microphone it is premiering for this episode you see it when they are about to record bohemian rhapsody well on the left there is a speaker large speaker that microphone uh, listening to that speaker but was it brian may yeah on the background hello to the new microphone a bit of eratum in uh, of all films uh, assassin's creed odyssey in, the, in this film they overdub uh, quite a quite a few times the on the tape uh, to to for Bohemian Rhapsody. What we talked about in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, we talked about reusing film, which is entirely preposterous. You can't reuse film. You reuse tape, or if you reuse film, it's to do double exposure or all those uh, Georges Méliès stuff. For some reason, we mixed up the words. Your fans deserve the truth, do they? No, I, don't I totally disagree with that. The reason why the media is so intense, they'll manipulate you because they'll say things like that. But that's only manipulation. It's because they want the truth from you because it sells their newspapers. They don't actually expect you to be truthful. There are lots of crazy fans out there that I should know exactly every single thing 
about your life. You don't have to tell your fans anything. Quite a lot of pe- artists, they do get involved in these industries because they need extra validation. And so as soon as they hear that, they don't have the security and the network behind them for them to say, no, I don't need to tell you anything. And they do. And, you know, they... they but I, I felt I felt someone like Freddie Mercury would have found this really difficult. Mm. Uh, I had a cold last night, if anyone is interested. Oh, he said cocaine. He said coke. Uh, no, a cold. I, the I wh- thought he said I had coke last night, if yeah, anyone's interested. I, I thought it was interesting to bring that in the episode, because I, the, I watched it with subtitles. All right, okay. And it says a cold? Yes. But subtitles are sometimes wrong. Do you think they got it wrong? No, I, I got the cold the very first time I watched it. But because of the sound, that wasn't ideal when you watched it, probably. Um, language corner for a second. When uh, Freddie says, I think I'm bisexual mary austin says freddie you're gay in french so i think it's quite a derogatory term the version of french is homo i think in in uh in britain and america if you say you're a homo it's it's derogatory it's never in a positive light no, anyway. i've never you, heard it used in a positive i think it's because when you it's derogatory because it's like you don't because you get that a lot don't you well look at the p word this is said a few times in the film. It's yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's still again the cultural differences because homo is yet yeah, obviously uh, short of homosexual, mm-hmm. but w- because we have a way way more offensive word. Okay, okay. Which you have right. for cigarettes here. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. But, which was used a lot in this film, right? So people didn't like this man first off. I also discovered the Bolivian marching powder. Paul, at some point, talks about the uh, marching powder at the uh, party with dwarves and stuff. Uh, that which is like uh, cocaine. Euphemism. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, bull rap was hate. Well, wasn't well received by critics, but loved by the audience. This, um, the, the original song, right? Uh, the budget for this movie was between 50 and 55 million dollars. Well, it got 844.9 million. Not bad. Wow. Now, uh, I'll talk about the tomato meter dilemma. In one of our recent episodes, Paul talked about a tomato meter percentage. I'll start using that. Actually, the percentage is not enough. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody has a tomato meter score of 61%, based on 353 reviews. F- fresh, to 217, and rotten, 136 which gives you a 6.1 out of 10, which uh, works this time. Audience score, 88%. Average rating, 4.4 out of 5. Mm-hmm. Out of 18, uh, more than 18,000 uh, users. On the other end, Venom, Tomatometer, 29%. Out of 305 reviews, Fresh, 88, Rotten, 217, but that's 4.4 out of 10. 4.4 out of 10 is not 29%. Audience score, 84%, or uh, 4.2 out of 36,000. Basically, it's the the percentage of the tomato meter doesn't mean anything. There is a nice uh, real-life stuff, so I think uh, when the actual Live Aid happened, in the video, there is also an evening, an evening bit. At some point, the technicians are talking over uh, Freddie Mercury because they're, they're not aware. Oh dear! Can we can we briefly go back on the Rotten Tomatoes thing? Well, we at the beginning we were a re- we were a, a, review, a review podcast and we became a discussion podcast. A num- a numbers games for reviewing things. I don't I don't really like numbering things. That's why we're good, bad, or just plain standard. Like it doesn't the, you have varying realms of how good or how bad you are. When you've got numbers, that means different things to different people, right? It, Making a movie is 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 an equation. All of the aspects of a film add together to give you a number. When you watch a film, you can find something that you super relate to, and yeah. 
It's a I business, mean, though. I mean, that's ro- how people. That's how businesses work. But I, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes thing is, you know, it's it's like Metacritic. It's the same idea as like professional reviewers and then audience reviews. It can be fixed. I mean, look at Insatiable. If, but if you Google Insatiable Rotten Tomatoes, you'll get this whole story about faking reviews to make it higher score. If if you're if you're going to go and see a movie, go and see a movie because you want to go and see it, not because you're like it's got a amazing Rotten Tomatoes score. It's why lots of people went to see the Emoji movie because it had a terrible Rotten Tomatoes review. That that that's my point is the the tomato meter score doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly. That's it, the 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 number afterwards like the number of stars which is a, a, a better indication. I guarantee you this. If a, if a review has stars nobody reads the review, they go straight to the star rating, read the summary and then go walk away. Yeah. If you give somebody the answer to some, if you out of the gate show somebody what you think about it, they're not going to stick around to read your opinion. I just feel that star ratings are, it's to sell the movie. I I like podcasts and discussions when you sit down with people and talk about what you like. Bohemian Rhapsody, it's it's a five star movie. Let's talk about it. How many of you listening would stay and listen to us talk about it? You know, jelly beaning. Okay. Freddie never got his teeth fixed because he thought that we he will uh, he would have lost his uh, particular voice. Does it mean sort of like I have more space in my mouth, which means that I have more range? Yeah. I think that's one of the first things he says to the band. What are they called in the beginning? Smile. Don't forget to smile or something like that. As you would have heard last week in Colossal, Oscar and Gloria has a very toxic kind of relationship. Well, Freddie and Paul. What a horrible man. Especially because after all that, he's like begging to stay and then he goes on to the media and actually does the one thing that adam you said so obviously the whole concert was eclipsed by queen but mm. you, you said that phil collins was he, he flew there was something yeah phil Co- so there are two things you know about live aid the scale of it if you say live aid to somebody they go the queen concert because yeah. that's how big that that performance was and how phil collins performed in london i believe it's london then took concord flew to america and performed later on with led zeppelin Bend, basically bending space and time to get across to play in the same day is eclipsed by the quality and amazingness that was Queen. There you go, that's a performance for you. I would say as well, this film does make you want to go back and know everything about Queen. I mean, Rami Malek talks about how he now he's a huge Queen's fan, but it just made him realise again how unbelievably amazing these people were yeah. and freddie mercury was it's such a shame we lost him so young rami malik a crazy uh, cat guy now oh yeah i'm a huge cat fan it's funny i used to hate uh, albums made out of concerts but the, after my first the first time i attended one culminating with the navy at one point we stopped in hawaii and we only learned two days before that the last leg of the vertigo tour of youtube was happening oh yeah and yeah i was like en- entranced like enthralled by the whole thing yeah now i'm i think uh, my um vinyl craziness that i have these days was kick-started by this movie last a few months ago so uh that's awesome i love how in the episode before we debuted them i went people are idiots that put them on the wall and then immediately in the next episode we've got two on the wall (laughs) and sometimes when it's unlimited and they look so good you, you have to and they are doubles. Um, I know, we do have it. We do have the... <laughs> I didn't realize that Queen is still performing. So basically, it's Queen plus Adam Lambert. John Deacon left a few yeah. years. In 97, he left. I thought it was because he, he couldn't continue with Freddie, but that's six years after. It might be a bit to do with that as well. I mean, you. I remember there was a big concert 
I don't know when it was though, but it was like multiple people came on and did ready stuff. The Mercury Phoenix Trust. I believe, yeah. They they started with a huge concert. It might be that to actually create the foundation. I mean, Uh, okay, is that is that to raise awareness and money for AIDS? The the logo you see at the end. I mean, awesome. Loads of bands carry on without Led Zeppelin did performed again after John Bonham, but at the time. That was it. You know, after John went, that's it. And they only came back, they only appeared. Do you remember when Led Zeppelin played? It was huge. You couldn't get tickets. It was, I wouldn't it, be surprised. It was phenomenal. I've got the DVD of the concert. It's a great concert. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Paul McCartney still plays and he'll he'll always play Beatles songs. Yeah. Of course, he, he did other stuff too. Famously, I think it's Leonard Skinner. I think there's only like uh, one member of the original left and it might not even be yeah. any of the original band left, but the band still goes, you know. Yeah. So there are, there are bands that keep going, even though the, a member does die because it's the idea of carrying on the legacy or Queen is a strange one, I have to admit, because of how big Freddie is irreplaceable yeah i would feel strange listening to queen without freddie mercury yeah because actually what was nice about this film is that it did talk about how it wasn't always freddie mercury with the ideas the things that we you know connect queen to were not freddie mercury at all looking at you look at you adam adam levine well maroon five isn't good anymore you have to look at that but when they were actually maroon five yeah they 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 quit it's different it's not that they stopped becoming maroon five it was just that their lead singer got more notoriety because he's good looking and and he's you know nobody said uh, maroon five with the halftime show this year it was not maroon five it was adam Levine? Uh, I liked how the movie starts with a enhanced 20th Century Fox logo. And for my uh, 40th in April in a few months, if anyone wants to buy me the Queen Studio Collection vinyl box set, well, it's only available on second hand and it's around $1,300. My parents have two LPs left. They kept two. My dad's is a Led Zeppelin one, I believe. And my mum's is a Queen one, I believe. Before we end, Anouk asked me yesterday because we had the debate i've had the big debate with somebody else recently anuk asked me what's what's the best song ever written then because she asked me do you think bohemian rhapsody is the best song ever written well a lot of people would say bohemian rhapsody is especially definitely in the top 10 or top it, five i agree top 10 my personal one because i thought about it the best song ever written bob o'reilly by the who i think that's a Good very job. is a very well written song and that well uh, that's your opinion anyway just like uh, mine was that uh, the editing of Colossal was impeccable. Oh, oh yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, Adam disagreed. It was just that scene in the bar where it's the quick back and forth. I thought that was terrible. Jarring, it yeah. It was too jarring for me. Anouk, Jan, was Bohemian Rhapsody good, bad, or just plain standard? Jan? I think it was good. A flair of efficient. It's if it, the, the goal the filmmakers were to make you uh, hyped for anything Queen again, that worked a lot for me. Anouk? Good as well. Lazy, but extremely entertaining. I would say good and the flair of Figaro. <laughs> or anything, just the flair of Queen. I mean, it's it's a bit, it's, 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 it is a mixed bag. It's not the best film ever made. It's a fantastic performance by Rami Malek. Rami oh, Malek definitely, definitely. And it's a very entertaining ride. Flair, feel good. The time you hear this, we'll know what the Oscars are, but so still don't know if he actually got the Oscar. He has the BAFTA, Rami Malek. And as we're supposed to be watching more episodes, uh, m- more uh, Oscar movies, we'll probably do a 10-minute Oscar thing. The favourite is now available on iTunes. US, so we have it here oh. just in case. Awesome. And Mary uh, should be around in a few days, also. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. 
All right. So thank you again for listening. Cheers. Thank you, guys. We were Adam, Anouk, and Jan. Cheerio, cheerio. <laughs>